Hour three, Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you didn't get to your Mighty Mavs, I don't believe. I did, did not. Sorry, ran out of time there. I, Andy Reid, old school Andy Reid yeah. clock management on hey, my part. We got to update that. That's Nat Hack level. That'd be Nathaniel yeah. Hackett. Play clock, clock running you know, down. Clock management. Type. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll we'll hit the thing next up. CMU Sports. It's Mighty Mavs on the Jim Davis Show. So my I I went double because I just there's a lot of goodness for CMU over the weekend. Actually, it's not often 14 RBI gets overshadowed, but uh, you'd mentioned the three home runs uh, by the other softball player, Riley Crouch. Riley Crouch. Uh, Ashley Bradford, 12 of 18, 14 not, RBI, not 10 bad. runs. Four doubles, a triple, three homers over the weekend. It's not often that that gets overshadowed, but it was. Also, Cassidy Phelan, women's golf, won the Warrior Invitational by four strokes over teammate Ellie Walters over the weekend as well. And on the men's side, Harry Harrison Rogers, eight RBI in three games against Metro with the finale coming up today at one. And on the lacrosse pitch field, it's a played on a soccer pitch, but it's lacrosse field, I believe. Uh, Jed Brummett, three goals in the Mavs win over number seven Rollins College. So there you go. Congratulations. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of mightiness for the Mavs this weekend. All right. So text to call 970-242-1340. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy today from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios. Let's see. <laughs> Come on, team. Have a sense of humor. The ump was just having a little fun. How about just an apology? No, he wasn't. At, Robert Hubert was not having fun. Have you have you watched it? No, he was not having fun. He got mad that the guy pointed at the pitch was low. Okay, and if that upsets him, then then toss him. Then throw the kid out. Then throw him out. Okay, and this is a non-story. Yeah. Then then like okay, he questioned the umpire's call. He got tossed. But no, he decides to be a petty turd and call a pitch that's so far out of the strike zone. It's not even funny, and call him out on it. Mm-hmm. It would have hit so, a left-handed hitter. Yeah, and e- not easily. like Anthony Rizzo over the plate type. It was close. Hit Larry Walker. Exactly. Exactly. And to and the, call and the him famous out on All-Star that. game against Randy Johnson. Yeah, right. To call him out on that, and in the bush. ninth inning, so bush. That's bushly. It's childish. And there's no apology yet. Right? And that was, what, Friday or Saturday? So, how much of a joke was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a joke. It, he was. He got ticked that the, that the kid challenged his strike zone, and instead of doing what he should have done, mm-hmm. if, that was, if it upset him that much, toss him, he decided to, to make it even worse and, yeah. and turn it into a big-time story. Or, well, not big-time, but at least a oh, story that... Story that we're talking. Big enough time, yeah. Big, b- way bigger than nobody would have heard anything about this if he just tossed him out. Would have just been some random kid getting thrown out for arguing balls and strikes. That's Happens it. every weekend somewhere. Would have been maybe you know probably not even mentioned in the story about the game. I mean, it, with with two strikes in the ninth, maybe. Maybe. But it would have been a line or two. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a story that's blowing this up on would the not internet. Be on ESPN. And now as an umpire, you've damaged your credibility. The point where you're probably not going to be working in any games in that conference anymore. 
No, and if I'm Mississippi Valley State, I wouldn't take the field if he was behind the plate in the field. Absolutely not. Not happening. Because he made it personal against one of my guys. Who's to say that's where he stops? It's not a joke. You don't do that. That's got to be a joke of a text. Yeah, come on, Robert. Oh, he's just kidding. Seven's fun. No, he wasn't. He was ticked off. He thought the kid was trying to show him up by pointing out how bad how bad of a call it was on the previous pitch. Mm-hmm. He decided to just double down and make an even worse call. And was that bad, Devon Mims? Yes, shouldn't have done that. Deserved to be thrown yeah, out. Bad. It was a you bad do that. Bad location was too low, but he he probably shouldn't have did what he did. Mm-hmm. But. Once the umpire lets the next pitch come without throwing the kid out, then then you got to let it go. Absolutely. And he didn't. Which he chose not to. And he should be fired. Absolutely. All right. So, NCAA basketball tournament first four begins tomorrow night. Well, of course, Bracket Palooza. Make sure you join us tomorrow night for it at Warehouse 2565 at 530. Get your bracket filled out today at theteam1340.com. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the bracket. Let's uh, let's first delve into Ball Arena, where March Madness coming to, of course, the front range. And we got a pair of number three seeds that are among the eight teams to play in Friday's first round. We'll see you up the road. It's March Sadness. Yeah, it's... Man, Not for you. the women, though. Not for the women. Playing Middle Tennessee State in the yep. NCAA tournament. Buff's got a six seed. But uh, Baylor's the three seed in the South region, while Gonzaga is the three seed in the West region. See so if we can get uh, maybe um, get Tom Hudson on the voice oh, of Gonzaga yeah. with us again. He'll be in country, so to speak. We'll be in the same state. Of course, the Bears won the national title in 2021. Do you remember who they beat that year? That would be the Zags. That'd be Gonzaga, who they wouldn't see until the national championship game. And so. That's one of the, the two runner-up finishes for Mark Few in the past five tournaments. Gazag also finished second to North Carolina in 2017. Baylor's going to be favored over number 14, UC Santa Barbara. Gonzaga gets number 14, Grand Canyon. And uh, University of California, Santa Barbara won the Big West Championship. Grand Canyon won the Western Athletic Conference Tournament. And also in the South, you've got Creighton, a sixth seed. They'll take on 11-seeded North Carolina State. And the other game, the West Regional, number 6, Texas Christian, gets the uh, gets takes on the winner of the playing game between Arizona State and Nevada. And both uh, those first-round games are expected to be uh, pretty good ones. Baylor and Gonzaga, uh, according to the Post, they have pretty strong alumni bases over in the front range. And if you're going to go Friday and Sunday, tickets are expensive if you can get one. Uh... It's uh, the ball arena of the 10th NCAA tournament, by the way, in Denver. It's the 10th time it's been there. Already sold out. But tickets are expected to become available Tuesday if schools don't sell their allotments. So you could have a chance tomorrow to get tickets for it. But they're going to cost you a bunch. <laughs> a lot. Yes. So when we look at the tournament, upsets that you see. One that that kind of pops up as a possibility is College of Charleston and San Diego State. Really, College of Charleston they've they've won thirty two games this season. Yeah, San Diego State has a habit of that's true. 
I that's I that's not the one I'm really targeting. That's I don't even know if that's my 12-5 potential upset because I th- I think Drake might be able to get Miami. Oral Roberts I don't think has beaten Duke. I heard no. somebody describe Duke as the arc. They got two of everything. <laughs> which is <laughs> pretty, pretty funny. It's pretty good. You know, and so I like I don't think Duke falls. I just I think St. Mary's is just so good in another 12-5 matchup. The upset, quote unquote, for me would be I think whoever wins Arizona State and Nevada might get TCU coming up in Denver. I think whoever wins that play-in game, that first four game, and I, I think it could be either team. They might get TCU. I just I don't know how good TCU is. But Arizona State and Nevada, they're both they have will have essentially the same record as TCU. Maybe a little better if it's Nevada, twenty-two and ten. And I kind of agree with Jay Billis a little bit about the play-in games. Like I understand you don't want to stick all these like Northern Kentucky Howard types in there, but I think Arizona State and Nevada both north of twenty wins. Same thing with Mississippi State and Pitt. It's not fair. They should all be in the tournament proper over like, no offense, Iowa and Iowa State. No, I'm I'm fine. Both I'm fine are nineteen with that. and thirteen. You could stick them in the first four against each other. Why not? You know. Yeah, sure. Or stick them in the first round against each other in Desmonet. But they took some. They took places out of teams that don't need to go through the play and jump through the hoops. To me, that their that their resume is already, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, twenty plus wins should should put them into the tournament. I agree. I mean, they they are technically, yes. but should Texas Southern be in the first four? Yes, they won their conference, so they're in. But they're fourteen and twenty. Absolutely, that's a first four team. Now, when you look at 30 wins, because I, I mentioned that about the College of Charleston, mm-hmm. that is impressive. They've, they've got 32 wins. But history, though, and, and part of the reason I like College of Charleston, they got four or five guys that are averaging like double digits around there. Yeah. They're a very balanced basketball team. And there's a lot of pressure on, on San Diego State mm-hmm. concerning their, the flame out last year they had. But typically, when a team wins 30 games or more, a total of 12 teams with 30 or more wins have made the big dance in the last 10 seasons. Those teams combined for a 10-2 and record in the first round. That's really good, right? Yeah. Three of those teams, Stephen F. Austin, 2014, Middle Tennessee State, 2017, UC Irvine, 2019, one is double-digit seeds. And so that's, that's important in the first round. But it, as far as going deeper into the tournament... Typically, thirty wins has not held up throughout the course of the rest of the tournament. First round, it's pretty good. That's not, of course, the number I mentioned. Not including the major conference of Gonzaga, a total of the twelve teams of thirty more wins have made the big dance, and they went ten and two in the first round. So, it's, it, I guess, from a standpoint, it's it's a good number to look at least at in the first round. Mm-hmm. Speaking of College of Charleston with thirty two wins, that. It's good in the first round. Doesn't mean though that they're going to make a deep run. There might be three of the four thirty-win teams in this field not even make it 
to the weekend. Because College of Charleston, I know they're a trendy upset pick, and I get it, but they could lose to San Diego State. FAU could lose to Memphis. Oral Roberts could lose to Duke. I don't see Houston losing. They might lose second round if they face up against Auburn in Birmingham. I get that. But a lot of those 30-win teams that you listed off aren't Power 5 top-tier teams because a lot of those conferences aren't very good depth-wise, right? You'll get... You'll get 10 or 12 wins just against the bottom half of your conference by a tournament-worthy Oral Roberts, right? How many of those 30 wins are prime quality, yep, second round, you're moving right on wins? I don't know if any of them are. But when you look at, like, Purdue, 29 wins, Alabama, 29 wins, Kansas has, what, 27 wins, those schools some of their wins while not at 30 are wins that are like yeah they can win six games in three weeks so it, but you'll also look at the it. big 12 how tough how good the big 12 was exactly. this year too that's what i mean i mean you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna lose some games against really really good competition and to win 27 games in the crucible that that conference was that's what gives me more faith in some of these like a 20 win arkansas I think is probably better than a 30-win College of Charleston just because of where those wins came and who some of those losses came against. You know, another, Not all wins are created equal is a, what I'm trying to say. Exactly. That the quality of conference you play in, you're, you're going to take some hits. You're going to take some losses. You're going to lose some tough games. And, and your record's going to reflect that as opposed to College of Charleston, which... You know, it's dominant team in their conference, not not playing in a, a yeah. conference the level of, of the Big Twelve. Another one that's been mentioned as a possible upset is number thirteen Furman over number four Virginia. That Virginia, because of the way they play, is that more Furman or is that more Virginia? The only number yeah. one seed to ever lose to a sixteen. Exactly. That history is kind of working against them. Yeah. Right. That's kind of a little bit of their legacy. But their style of play also works against them. Yeah. Because they're one of the slowest teams in the country. They rank 360th in Ken Palm's tempo metric. And haven't played particularly well down the stretch this season. Now, for Furman, they they haven't been been to the tournament since 1980. Mm -hmm. But one of those teams that you get that's a mid-major... That's got a lot of guys that have stayed around. Yeah, a lot of a lot of upperclassmen, chemistry not, not, guys. Yeah, not not guys that are you know going to the NBA, but experienced upperclassmen. And we've seen that before. Teams where they've had four, five, six guys that are junior seniors, guys that play together for a couple of years, and they play better than teams that maybe come from a bigger conference. Will they roster though of guys that maybe have left early, go to the NBA, whatever the case may be, or decide to hit the portal and and transfer out? Yeah, and I I totally understand what people say with the um, Cavaliers, right? Because they play so slow. They don't take really a ton of shots. They attempted, what, what 1,700 shots? That's way, way, way down the list. They're shooting 45% from the field. They don't get enough possessions to make up for a cold streak, usually. And they don't have a ton of cold streaks because they're just that good, 25-7 and seven in the ACC. 
But if they get on a cold streak where they go four or five minutes without a field goal, are they going to be able to keep up? And I, I just don't know because they play so slow. Yeah, Tony Bennett's guys do not uh, get up and down the floor. And a team like Furman, that they could take advantage of that slower pace of play mm-hmm. and a possible upset for Furman over as a double-digit seed over Virginia. And the like purple said before, Paladins. The Paladins. Yeah. All right, it's 917. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy. Text to call us 970-242-1340. We've got some predictions, upsets. For the NCAA tournament, we'd love to see those today on the Chick-fil-A Breakfast Team phone line. That's 970-242-1340. And my Sweet 16 matchup in the East, in New York, got Purdue and Duke. That one's kind of chalk-ish, right? I'm not going to talk about my bracket until tomorrow, by no, the no, way. No, I'm, no, I'm only giving you some of my upsets. Okay. But I had to kind of fill out. I have Providence getting to the Sweet 16 again. I just think the Friars are a team that kind of flies under the radar, and Kentucky is just so schizophrenic. They are so streaky that I can see Providence downing them and then, sorry, Wyatt, beating Kansas State in the next round. Yeah, I can see that too. Because, again, it's a group of those guys that played three, four years together, had one on a tournament run last year, Sweet 16 run, I believe, for Providence. So those were guys that they've, they've done this. They've been there. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Text or call the show, 970-242-1340, The Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. They need a wake-up call. Call or text The Jim Davis Show on the Chick-fil-A Team Line, 970-242-1340. Welcome back. Jim and the Buckeye Boy. From the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trust name in automobiles. Don't forget Brackapalooza tomorrow night, powered by Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick, the most trust name in automobiles, 530 to 730, whereas 2565 tomorrow night. That's 2565 American Way. Bring your bracket. Once again, you got to go online and fill out your bracket at the team1340.com. You print it off, bring it tomorrow night with your first name, last name on it, and your username for your account for Brackapalooza. And uh, put your number on it, your telephone number on it as well. And tomorrow night, you bring your bracket at 5.30, get uh, 10 bonus points, 6 o'clock, 8 bonus points, 6.36 bonus points, 7 o'clock, it's 4 bonus points. And please do not bring somebody else's bracket because they will not get any bonus points. They have to bring their bracket in person to get the bonus points. So uh, keep that in mind. All right, get all the details, get the bracket filled out at the team1340.com. See, my sister-in-law is from Des Moines and does not like the way Buckeye is pronouncing the name, which means I love the way Buckeye is pronouncing the name. What, Desmone? Desmone? I've only seen that word written. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I know it's Des Moines. I just like having a little fun. You're just, yeah, just good yeah. nature to the folks in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Des whatever the case might be. All right, so while you're filling out your bracket, Maybe you're on your fifth or sixth bracket that you filled out, trying to figure out exactly which way to go. Over the athletic, uh, Seth Davis has a little tip for you. Guys, follow college basketball. Knows a thing or two. Very, very long time. Very respected. Cousin Seth. And um, not really. Be cool if we were, but not to my knowledge. He's got a little tip. 
he says, since most of you are in pools that reward picking higher seeds to win, best strategy is to look for highly seeded teams you don't think will get past the Sweet 16, and then you pick those teams to lose in the first two rounds. He says, that way, if you're wrong, you don't keep paying for it. So that's if you're in a pool like that, mm-hmm. the rewards the, the higher seeds winning. So there's a little tip from him. He likes Alabama. He thinks Alabama's going to win the whole thing. Yeah, I I got them to... I'm not going to say how far I have them going, but I just I could not pick them to go all the way. I just feel gross, I guess. Is that weird? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, like I sacrificed a potential winning bracket for the fact that I'm like, I just, I don't want them to. He also had some more tips about filling out your bracket. He says, first, your best chances for significant upsets are the 12 versus 5 and the 13 versus 4 games. Yep. He said he talked with CBS research guru Wayne Feldman to run some numbers for him over the last 20 years. And he said that 35.8% of number 12 seeds won their first games, and 20.9% of 13 seeds won theirs. So we're looking to pick one to two number 12s and at least one number 13. Also in the last 10 years, six number 15 seeds have won at least a first-round game. So you want to pick one of those guys to pull off a stunner. You've got the math behind you. So when you hear those numbers, Buckeye, on your bracket, do those numbers back up choices you've made? Yeah. Or that you go, you go, yeah, I mean, typically I think we've we've seen that be the case. It's mm-hmm. nice to have some hard and fast data on over the last 20 years that, right. that backs that up. And we talked about that last segment, right? 12-5 always seems to be an upset. But more recently, the 15s are winning, 14s are winning, 13s are winning. Look at a team like Iona with Tricky Ricky. They're 27-7. and seven. They're a 13 seed. They're going up against UConn. How good are the Huskies? St. Mary's, I think they win as a five seed, but we've seen now Shaka Smarts with Marquette, but VCU is one of those Cinderella's, right, that have made that late run. Kent State goes up against Indiana in the first round as a 4-13 matchup. I don't know if the Golden Flashes are getting through, but I don't know how easy it's going to be for Indiana on the other side either. That's just the right half of the bracket with Midwest and West. Grand Canyon. I don't think Gonzaga has a problem. Kennesaw State, I don't think Xavier has a problem. I don't know if I like a 15 this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if one gets somebody. Does Princeton get Arizona just with the way they play? We talked about that kind of working against Virginia, but Princeton, it always seems to favor them. How good is a team like Colgate, right? They're very minty fresh, but how are they on the basketball court? Exactly. You know, and of course you have the ten sevens, the eight nines, which are really just toss ups anymore. You know, like USC gets Michigan State in a ten seven game, right? That's a great Rose Bowl, and soon to be conference foes, but that one's kind of a toss up. Utah State, Missouri. You know, I just I know some people they're going to try to go outside the box with their upsets. But that's going to cost you down the road. Down the road, if you're like, man, I really like UNC Asheville, and you pick them to upset UCLA, and UCLA goes to the Final Four, you screwed yourself for it's, it's, four it's kinda rounds. Like, it's kind of like Princeton, Arizona, right? Is yeah. there's a 15 seed to go? Okay, Ivy League, mm-hmm. 
they're they they actually they're a pretty good offensive team. They score about seventy six points per game. Yeah. Hey, you know Arizona, they're a two seed. Maybe they're they're looking to the next round already. Mm-hmm. And style of play is going to maybe catch the Wildcats off guard. Yeah, that's when it's like don't don't get suckered in on that. Right. Arizona's too good. They're they're Princeton's not going to come up with a a fifteen over a two in in that in that in that first round matchup. I do also buy the theory that getting a win tomorrow or Wednesday helps you Thursday, Friday, if you're a first four team. I could see both eleven seeds winning their first round game after winning the first four. I think Arizona State or Nevada could beat TCU. I think Michigan State or not Michigan, Mississippi State or Pitt could be Iowa State. You know, I just I don't know how good Iowa State is. They're nineteen and thirteen. Misses or TCU's twenty one and twelve. Well, see, they get back to we talked about how good the Big Twelve is. Yeah, it's it's hard to evaluate. It's hard to considering evaluate how good the the Big Twelve has been this year. But I could see. Any of those four 11 seeds that are playing in the first four winning the first round? Like with Iowa State, let's just take a look at the mm-hmm. Cyclones for a moment. You know, they they lost to Connecticut 71-53, and Connecticut was number 20 in the nation. They beat North Carolina, and North Carolina was number one. Early, early in the season. But where where does that stack up now with doesn't, North Carolina not even in the tournament? Doesn't mean that much, does it? It was it was great then, but then what did North Carolina do? Become the first team ever to be preseason number one the deeper and then not the, even make the tournament. The deeper into the season it got, the less impressive that win was. You know, they lost in a Cyhawk showdown at Iowa City. 75-56, we talked about that a little bit. That's not that I was nationally ranked or anything, but rivalry matchup between yeah. those two out of conference. They, they didn't have a great season either. The Iowa did not have a great season. They beat number 12 Baylor on their home floor. They lost to Kansas. Lost to Kansas by two mm-hmm. at Lawrence when Kansas was ranked number two. Went at home against Texas when they were number seven in the nation. They got a win on their home floor against Kansas State by four when when Kansas State was number five in the nation. I mean, Iowa State, it's, it's hard to evaluate. They got, they got a win at Ames against Kansas, 68-53. But they go on the road to lose at West Virginia, though West Virginia played better later in the season. Got, had a win... At home against TCU when they were number 22 in the nation. Mm-hmm. Lost at Manhattan to Kansas State when they were number 12 in the nation. Lost at Austin to Texas when they were number 8 in the nation. And then they finished the season with losing to Kansas in the in the Big 12 tournament. Got a win against Baylor in the tournament. They picked up wins into the regular season and in the tournament against Baylor. Yeah. So it's a resume you kind of go... There's there's a lot of good there, but there's also in the case like North Carolina, a game that looked really impressive early on, mm-hmm. but then you go, well, what does that mean now? Not nearly as impressive, right? Right, and like they're really good at home, not not exactly great on the road. Mississippi State, right? They've beaten Marquette. They beat Marquette by three. 
They lost to Drake, who turned out to be really good this year. They lost three times to Alabama, who people are penciling in as the favorite. They lost to Tennessee. That's a really good team. They lost to Missouri. At Missouri, that's a tournament team. Vanderbilt could have very well been a tournament team. They lost to Kentucky, who's a tournament team. They got bounced from the SEC tournament, losing by 23 to Alabama. But Alabama's a good squad. Where does What's Mississippi State look like? Right? Which team are you going to get? You're going to get the team that smothered and beat Marquette early on in the season, or are you going to get the team that lost to Vanderbilt, who sh- kind of should be in the tournament? And then Pitt, right? Where does where does Pitt come down? They got real hot kind of early January, then kind of scuffled to the finish line. Lost to Miami, lost to Duke, both teams in the tournament. Lost to Florida State, which isn't a good loss. No. But they've also lost to Vanderbilt. They lost to Michigan when the Wolverines were ranked. They lost to VCU, West Virginia teams that are in the tournament. You know, so like where where do they come down? I think that getting a win early in the week helps one of those two teams kind of get their mojo back. Whereas they're going up against a team in Iowa State who has their last game was a loss, and it's going to be a week ago at that point. So that's one of your upsets I think you kind of look at. I know people love to the 12-5, the 4-13, you know, the the... 314 so occasionally a 611 that's an 116 that you might find an upset there and to give the ladies some some more time or give them some yeah. time this morning you have the you have South Carolina Indiana Stanford and Virginia Tech they're the top seeds and then the women's tournament and the Gamecocks the reigning national champions they're the overall top seed in the tournament but uh, great news for the University of Colorado women they get a six seed, and the Buffaloes will be in the Seattle four region. And see who finished this year twenty three and eight. They'll get the eleven seeded, uh, eleven seeded Middle Tennessee State twenty eight and four on the season. So there, I should say Middle Tennessee State. I might have incorrectly said they were there. They were they were twenty fifth in the country. I should say. I think I mentioned their seeding incorrectly previously. It's going to be a fun time for the Buc- going to be busy in Columbus. At Nationwide, you have the uh, men's pod, and across town at the shot, you have the women's pod. Ohio State's hosting a uh, regional-esque forward games there. And, and CU Middle Tennessee State, by the way, in Durham, North Carolina on Saturday for that one. And, you know, if they get past Middle Tennessee State, they only probably have to play Duke at home, which is no big deal. Yeah, no problem, right? Right. So for for CU, by the way, their history in the women's tournament, they're seventeen and fourteen, but they have lost four straight since reaching the Sweet Sixteen in two thousand three. And even though they've been the higher seed in each of their last three NCAA tournament appearances, oh four, twenty thirteen, twenty twenty two, CU's been knocked down the first round each time. So they're hoping to have it go a little bit differently this time around in the NCAA tournament when they take on Middle Tennessee State. It- I do like the fact that these are played on campus. These are going to be fun games. There's going to be good crowds for at least a couple games because the home team is playing. Men's tournament doesn't really matter where it's at. You're going to get a good crowd. People always travel. 
But for women, that's not always the case. We've seen some of how their regional and final four setups are, and it's just horrible to have a pretty decent crowd like in Knoxville for Tennessee right? or Bloomington for Indiana, Columbus for Ohio State. That's going to be really cool. Which that that's fair. You, you've got those are you know mm-hmm. the top seeds. They should have that that opportunity to host. Yeah. And if you're going to play it on campus, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, nine thirty five. Best of luck to the Colorado women's basketball team. Yep. All right, so um, let's go ahead and uh, take a little trip back in time this morning. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, go back to 1961. Floyd Patterson knocks out Ingmar Johansson to retain the world heavyweight boxing title. 1982, Elaine Zayak wins the World Figure Skating Championship. 1998, Bryce Drew hits the three-pointer as time expires to give Valparaiso the shocking upset of Mississippi. I think they called it, what, the pacer play or whatever? The inbound play? Something like that? Something, I think, because Valparaiso's an Indiana school, yeah. Right. 2007, Lance Mackey. Got to be infused with Mr. Mackey of South Park. Okay. Okay. Uh, first one back-to-back long-distance sled dog races in North America. 2007, Dallas Stars' Mike Madonna becomes the second American-born player to reach the 500-goal limit, or 500-goal uh, threshold. Milestone. There we go. Milestone. 2008, Bodie Miller glitches the men's overall World Ski Cup Championship. 2012, BYU pulls out the biggest comeback in NCAA tournament history. They came back to uh, knock off Duke in the or in the excuse me, was it? Um, they beat Ione in the first round, 78-72. Marks the biggest comeback in in NCAA history. I'm sorry, Duke fought back. To beat Maryland in the NCAA tournament previously. They didn't beat Duke. They beat Iona. BYU did. But uh, the biggest comeback in NCAA tournament history uh, for BYU on this day. Also, 2018, Russell Westbrook picks up his 100th uh, triple-double of his career. So that's this day in sports history. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Text or call the show, 970-242-1340. Jim along with the Buckeye Boy. Still time to text in today. The good, the bad, the ugly, 970-242-1340. It's a good show. Probably the best show around. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Welcome back, Jim and the Buckeye Boy. Yeah, just to clarify, BYU came back from 25 down to beat Iona. Biggest comeback in tournament history. Prior to that, Duke, they were down by 22 points in 2001 when they beat Maryland in the national semifinals. So, BYU with the biggest comeback in tournament history. All right, text call 970-242-1340. And uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll have Mav Day. I'm sure we'll talk some cover to Mesa baseball with Chris Hanks and uh, probably some softball with Megan, or through me, uh, Mercedes Boti as well on tomorrow's program. So make sure you join us for that. Plus, uh, we'll get into the NCAA tournament with Wyatt Thompson, our voice, uh, or the voice of the Kansas State Wildcats, our uh, team uh, college basketball insider. That's coming up on tomorrow's program as well. So uh, text or call 970-242-1340 if you've got something today for the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, let's go ahead and, you know, it's a little bit early, but let's go ahead and hop in the dumpster. It's, how about some expanded? Yes. 
What are the industrial dumpsters? Exactly. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. All right. uh, Scotty Scheffler won the Players' Championship this past weekend. Birdied five consecutive holes. And pretty much sucked all the excitement out of Sunday, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest. Yeah. But one of the cool things was that in Scheffler's final round, his grandmother Mary walked all 18 holes as her grandson played, as well as the previous 54. She's 88 years old, by the way. And they show a picture of her. She's got her got her walker. She's kind of cruising along. Better than I would have done. No, no kidding. I would have tapped out after like four holes. Like, this is boring. That's that's impressive. Way to go, Scotty Scheffler's grandma. Yeah. Her grand, his grandmother's name is Mary, by the way, if you were if you were wondering. Yes. Right, what do you have? Uh Shelby Harris might maybe come back to Denver. Really? Huh? The Seahawks plan to release him, according to sources, according to Mike Garofolo. Seattle has explored possible trades, but hasn't found a taker. And then Cody put that out about four minutes ago on Twitter. George Payton was gutted to part with Shelby Harris. And if Draymond Jones leaves, there's a hole there that needs filling. A Shelby Harris size hole, if you will. Hmm. So that's something to keep an eye on as deals can be agreed to starting at 10. They cannot be inked until Wednesday. So this is your tampering period, if you will. The legal tampering period, as it's called. Which I believe it's now the contact, free agent contact, something or other, yeah. The the two day negotiating period for impending free agents. That's a little more wordy than legal tampering, so I'm going to go with legal tampering, which makes no sense. Right. <laughs> but okay, so starts actually at um, ten o'clock our time. So in just a few minutes, just uh, roughly seventeen minutes from now mm-hmm. is when that starts. You can agree to deals, but you can't sign them until Wednesday. Exactly, and. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, says he thinks they should dump the two-day negotiating period. He says, before the negotiation period, known in many circles as legal tampering, was Mm -hmm. adopted, free agents would have multi-million dollar deals with new teams in place literally minutes after the market opened. It still happens now. The only difference is that contracts aren't enforceable until they're officially submitted to the league at 2 o'clock tomorrow, which is when the league gear officially opens. So the negotiating period really serves no purpose other than to confuse fans as to when free agency begins. It begins at noon Eastern time on Monday, 10 o'clock our time. Why not just start free agency then? Yeah, because the free agency is open. You can now to go, oh, we have deals already. That was always like, huh, I wonder how that happened. There's absolutely no way this GM, this player, and this agent hammered out a deal in four minutes. No kidding. So why not just give them that window and then at that point, just say it, it starts. It yeah. starts at ten o'clock on Monday. And this is and there you go. This is from Rob Domofsky. Neither the Packers nor the Jets know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do with free agency essentially starting in fifteen minutes. <laughs> I like what Albert Breer says. Aaron Rodgers is just not going to say anything, and then randomly show up at OTAs. Yeah. I'm here. Like, I'm here. I never said I was going anywhere. Never said I wanted to. 
So something else to think about, too, as we roll around the dumpster a little bit more, garbage time, that in the case of Lamar Jackson, that no discussions can happen until tomorrow in in case of Lamar Mm -hmm. Jackson because the two-day negotiating period applies only to prospective unrestricted free agents. It does not apply to players who have received or who may receive a required tender applicable to the 2023 league year. So he, since he had the non-exclusive franchise tag placed on him, that it can't happen until tomorrow. So if you're expecting some Lamar Jackson news today, you're going to be disappointed because it's not going to happen until tomorrow. Also, some other things. How about some Oscars? You wa- I didn't watch a single second of the Oscars last night. Nope. Your uh, big winner last night was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, I saw the supporting actor and also Jamie Lee Curtis. She won. Which, congratulations to her. She's best, fantastic. Best actress in Best Supporting in a Supporting Role. She was really good in the movie. I take it you have not watched it. Nope. Don't even know what it's about. It's about a family, basically. There we go. And multiverse versions of that family. Oh, perfect. But I'll just watch Spider-Man. It was a really good movie. It, it also won for Best Picture. Which, I don't know. Um, I, I, I was kind of Top Gun Maverick I was didn't kinda, win. Best I was kind of hoping Top Gun Maverick. It's kind of hoping that uh, Tom Cruise would get up there and want to thank Zanu or whatever the uh, he wasn't even sci- there Scientologist God or whatever for for As winning. It turns out, yeah. But everything, everywhere, all at once. Which uh, I, I thought was a really good movie. And um, you had, um, I'm probably butchering his name, K-Way Kwan, who played short round in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He's been a, uh, I I saw the story about him. He was in Goonies, child actor, and then like a lot of child actors, the roles start to dry up. Mm -hmm. But uh, has been a uh, professor at, I believe, UCLA or USC, one of the two, as a, as a, in their, in their theater department as a as an instructor as a professor and then he got a call to audition for this film and ended up getting cast in the movie and uh, Michelle Kwan uh, I believe won for best actress quite crouching Michelle uh, Kwan is that the figure skater right? not Michelle Kwan um, is that Michelle Yao Yao thank you I'm sorry yeah. Michelle Yao my apologies Michelle Yao was the best actress winner? I believe that was Crouching, Crouching Tiger, Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Dragon years yes. and years ago, it was that she was in that. And so, um, anyway, congratulations, to those folks. The animated feature was Bob's Burgers movie. No, oh lame. Guillermo uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is a very it's pretty dark. It's not the if you're thinking it's like the Disney mm-hmm. film, it's nothing close to that. Brendan Fraser won for actor in a leading role for The Whale. Yeah, good for him. Good to good see him Encino back. Good for Man to finally get his recognition. But yeah, Michelle Yao won for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And then uh, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan won. They co-directed Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So they were the they won for Best Director, Directors in this case. I got to admit of the, let's see, I got to look at the list here of of films. I've been meaning to watch All Quiet on the Western Front. Haven't watched it yet. Avatar, The Way of the Water. Don't really care. 
good, thanks. The Banshees of Inisherin did watch it. It's pretty good. It um, takes a very dark twist. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are really good in it. Elvis was really good. Everything Everywhere All at Once was really good. Haven't seen the Fable ones yet. Haven't seen Tar yet. I love Top Gun Maverick. That was really, really great. Triangle of Sadness. Know nothing about it. Women talking. Haven't seen it. So, I saw Top Gun Maverick. That's about it. And the Bob's Burgers movie. But I saw Top Gun Maverick when it was originally released as Top Gun back in 1986. It's essentially the same movie, kind of, just with Goose's son. And nobody really dies. But other than that, except for spoiler alert. Actually, no, I won't spoil it. It's too soon. It's still hard to tell. Yeah. I'd, but uh, maybe leave that alone. It The storyline is essentially kind of, the, could, kind of the same. Other than it's you could Mav's see an it old coming. Guy. Mav's an old guy, but old Mav, old yeah. Mav can still kick butt. When they get shot down together, like, oh, they're going to find an F-14 and fly it out of there. Watch. And then I got punched because I was right. <laughs> Cause you I got know, hit like 11 times. Because you know, he, that's his plane. Mm-hmm. That's his baby. Yep. Like, watch, beach football coming. Like, oh, come on. Oh. Don't hit me. Hit Bruckheimer, whoever, for having a Jerry Bruckheimer for predictable. For basically making the same movie as yes. Top Gun. But you loved it, though, didn't you? you enjoyed I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Love. Nah, you liked it a lot. Strong like. I loved the Jets because I'm a nerd about military aircraft loved that aspect love that the f-18 gets some love but the the movie itself and i did like the little nod to the admiral's daughter from the first one which jennifer Connelly ended up being i liked that that was well done it took me about three quarters of the movie to figure out exactly who it was i was like oh holy crap so that was really well done. I liked the movie. Loved it. Strong like or just like? Very. Because the, the aerial sequences were so cool. Yes. I mean, just on that alone, to me, that would be strong like. Just because it's of the. It's a very strong like. Yeah, because of the aerial shots mm-hmm. that they did. And, and the fact that Cruz is flying. That's He's actually thing. flying some of the, doing some of the, the, the flying in the film. Is Tom Cruise impressive. gets a lot of Russell Wilson side eye from me. Because it always feels like it's Tom Cruise. It's Tommy Tryhard. Tom literally, literally, literally Tommy, Tommy Tryhard. But the fact that he straps himself into the jet and is like, yep, do whatever you need to do. Let's get this shot. That's, I will always respect that. And and that they, they wanted the actors to learn how to fly. Mm-hmm. Gotta, they tried their like best Miles to make Keller a Like Miles Teller and those guys. Yeah, they, they tried to, and they made... And I can't remember the one female actress that was one of the pilots. Her name escapes me. She was like the one that didn't puke. The rest mm-hmm. of them puked. Yeah. Like Glenn Powell puked and Miles Teller barfed. And they all barfed, well, except for Cruz and her. Right. What was her name? But I really... Monica Barbero? believe so, yeah. But the fact that they encouraged them, they said, look, part of this deal, you got to learn how to fly. Mm-hmm. To make it more realistic. Now, if Cruz does the space movie thing, now that's going to be... That'll be interesting. That's going to be interesting if he actually can pull that off. Yeah. Speaking of Miles Teller, uh, what was it, Whiplash that he was in? Yes. With um, J.K. JK uh, Simmons. Yes, who shares a birthday with me. Um, that's neither here nor there. 
saw that for the first time when we were on vacation back in January. And being a drummer, you used to play drums. I'm surprised yeah. it took you that long. But, but it's it was intense. I had to be like, nope, I'm on vacation. Can't, I can't go through the rest of this. Had to finish it when we got home. But I was like, this is way too intense. But you know me with new movies. I would not have seen any of these new movies if I was not married. Because my wife is like, let's go to the movies. We go like once every two or three months. Let's go see this movie or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. It's like, okay. Three hours in a dark room just hanging out. Sign me up. I'll do it. They haven't been very motivated lately. There hasn't been anything. There's not been anything really to get me out there. Yeah, that I've been that psyched about yeah, seeing. Even Marvel movies, I'm like, eh, let's wait till they come out. That's kind of where I've been too. Uh, oh, we got some NBA garbage time real quick. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the league and the uh, Players Association are moving closer to an agreement to establish rules that a player must play in a minimum number of games to be eligible for major awards. Absolutely should be the way it is. That's from Shams. And uh, says that the sessions were extremely productive between the competition committee and NBA and union officials, and it was jointly motivated to find that solution. Interesting. That the Players Association would be in on that. That's the way it should be. They're, they're, Absolutely. You, you should play in a minimum amount of games to, to qualify. And not be Nikola Jokic. Other than that, everybody else can qualify for the MVP. Right? That's Kendrick Perkins' thing? Sure. Absolutely. Close enough to truth. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank closer you. to truth than Kendrick Perkins. Absolutely. That I agree with you on that. Uh, don't forget, once again, tomorrow night, Bracket Palooza at Warehouse 2565. Get your bracket filled out. Get it filled out by going to the team1340.com. And then you bring your bracket tomorrow night at 530 to get the bonus points and all the details once again at the team1340.com. Get your bracket filled out. Now it's brought to you by our friends over at Bozarth, Miller, Chevrolet, Buick, the most trusted name in automobiles. That's our show for today. Back with you tomorrow. Don't forget the Avalanche in Montreal tonight at 5 here on the team.